Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus, on the internet, in the chapel, wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you are here. And before I get into what I'm uh, going to talk about today, I want to mention that next week we have a guest speaker, uh, Christine Kane. Some of you are familiar with her. She is probably the most dynamic speaker on the planet these days. And so come early, bring a friend. It's going to be awesome. She's a friend of the house here. And uh, so I want, you to, I want you to remember that. So how many of you are familiar with the name Dave Ramsey? Anybody? All right. Well, I just want to tell you, before there was a Dave Ramsey, there was me. <laughs> now, Dave Ramsey, if you're not familiar with him, he's this expert on personal finances, and he has a following of millions of people uh, on his radio show, and a lot of you have done Financial Peace University. He, he's, he captivates an audience with his knowledge on money. Well, I, uh, I've never had a radio show, uh, but I did captivate an audience, and it was an audience of five people. It was in my house. In fact, what I used to do when the kids were growing up, if we knew we had a long drive coming and I knew that they couldn't get out of the car, I thought that's a great opportunity to teach them about finances. And uh, so I, I can remember one time we were driving across Colorado, we were on a vacation and <clears throat> um, I knew we had about four hours that we were gonna go through the mountains over the other side. And so I said, Gang, we're gonna have a class on finance. And Debbie just kind of rolls her eyes and, and the kids, you know, are all, okay, dad, whatever. And so, and so I began to, to talk to them about some principles. I said, you know what? Here, here's how life works. You, you, get a good, you get a good job, okay? And then you work hard. When you work hard, they give you a paycheck. And when they give you that paycheck, if you'll handle that paycheck well, life can be a blast. If you handle it poorly, the same amount of money can really be a pain. So I said, they, they, one of them said, well, what do you do with it? And I said, I'm glad you're asking. First thing you do is you honor God with the first part of your paycheck. And I kind of explained how that worked. And then I said, the second thing you do is pay yourself. And well, don't I get paid? You know, no, 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 no. Because what happens with most people is they take their paycheck and it just goes to bills and everything else and and they end up working for other people besides even the people that they got the paycheck for. I said, if you'll handle it right and pay yourself first, then it can be exciting. And then I, I began to talk to him a little bit about the, uh, the, the magic of compound interest, you know? They didn't understand that, so I'd take out some money. I got a little bit right here, and I'd say, you know, if, if you guys, right now, if you would just take $1 and you would put that and invest that. Don't just put it in the bank because they don't give you hardly anything. Learn to invest. I talk to them about the stock market. You say, you talk to your kids about the stock market? Yes! Talk to them about real estate. Did you know that I bought a house when I first came to Mount Pleasant and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, I sold it for twice as much as I bought it for in just a few years? And if I still had it today, it'd be worth five times what I bought it for. And I only put like 
$4,000 into that, and that'd all be my money, but I didn't do it. But anyway, so, so I talked to him about all that stuff, and I said, you know what, if you'll take a dollar and you'll invest it really, really well, within just a very few short years, that dollar will become $2 without you doing a thing, and then, and, and then in a, a few more short years, it'll become $4, here's $4, uh, because it doubles every few years, and then that $4 becomes eight, and that $8 becomes 16, and that 16 becomes 32, and by the time you get to be at an age where you'd kinda like to just do some fun things, your money will work for you. Everybody else is working for money, but your money will work for you. And if you take more than a dollar, if you just take something out of every paycheck, every paycheck, then it'd be amazing what it does. About that time I'm looking around, everybody's asleep, you know? <laughs> People have slept through some of my best stuff all of my life, some of you right here. But you know what? <laughs> Apparently, my second son, Josh, who's the lead pastor here, didn't sleep through the whole thing because a few weeks ago, he told me, he said, he's pitching me on this series. And he says, Dad, we're gonna do a series on legacy. And he said, uh, here, here's, here's what we want. Um, we want you to speak uh, uh, on the third week of legacy about a financial legacy. And, and we don't need a tithing message, you know? Why don't you give one of those talks like you gave us in the car? And so I started to whine just a little bit, you know, because I said, you know what? I preached all eight services at Easter. And then last week, you wanted me to do family legacy. And that was fun, but it was for everybody else, but it was nerve wracking for me because I had no idea what other people in my family were gonna say. And when I do it by myself, I control what's gonna be said. And I said, and, and, then, and then you know that this week, I have to speak at, this past week, at, uh, I teach a master's class at a college in Florida, and then I had a meeting in Arizona. And I said, well, Listen, I, I thought you were the lead pastor. I'm supposed to <laughs> slow down just a little bit. He said, no, Dad, just give one of those talks. Just give one of those talks. So I thought, okay. I want you guys to pretend like we're in a car together, okay? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? There we go. I heard that a lot. Are we there yet? Well, l let me ask you a question, because this is fresh with me this week. What is the single most important thing about leaving a legacy with your money. Josh said, I want you to talk to my generation about leaving a legacy. So if I was to ask you, what's the single most important thing, what would you say? What would you say? I found the answer to that in a very unusual place. In fact, I was Googling on the internet financial legacy and read several articles, and I read one article out of Forbes magazine from a guy who is a wealthy, money manager. He manages his own money, but he manages the money of very, very wealthy people. And so he's seen people do foolish things with their money, and sometimes when you leave inheritances with your kids, it does worse than what it does if you, if you didn't. And he said, he said there's a difference between um, like leaving your kids a financial legacy and just leaving them money. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then he had a section where he said, if I was gonna talk to my grandkids, this is what I would say. My ears perked up, I got 14 of them. What do you say to your grandkids? And so, what do you teach? And he said this, he said, number one, four things. No one cares more about your money than you, so be a steward over your money. I thought, yeah, I, that makes sense. I kind of understand that. We'll probably talk about that in a few minutes. 
said, no one individual is an expert in everything when it comes to finance. He'd tell his grandkids that, and I, I would agree with that. And the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Get all the information you can. And then he said, set up a wealth capture account where you separate your spending money from your investing money. Remember I told my kids about that. Pay yourself, you know, and then, and then once you kind of get a little, little cushion uh, for rainy days, man, then it gets exciting when you start investing that. So he says that. Here's the one, th this next one blew my socks off. I hadn't thought of this. Number four, no amount of luck, discipline, rate of return, or savings will ever matter if one cannot overcome the scarcity mentality, which will inevitably destroy wealth. I thought, wow, this expert in money management is telling me that I can do everything else well and I can teach my kids to do everything else well, but if I don't overcome a scarcity mentality, it's gonna destroy anything that I have. I thought, that's, wow, what's a scarcity mentality? I'm glad you asked, okay? So I looked that up too. Uh, here's, here's how you know if you have a scarcity mentality. Number one, scarcity mentality believes that there are limited resources, that there's only so much out there, okay, um, that, and, and since there's only so much to go around, people with a scarcity mentality uh, tend to be resentful and envious of others' success. So when somebody else ach achieves something, they kind of get envious about that, which wherever there's envy, there, you can't have gratitude. Envy has to do with entitlement. When entitlement walks in, gra uh, gratitude walks out. Gratitude's the key to everything, I think. God says, this is the will of, of God for you. Be thankful in what? All things. So th that's kind of number one principle of attitude in life. And so the, the, it, it, the reason is, is because if there's only a limited amount of resources, if you achieve something, there's less chance that I will. And so people that kind of have that mindset are constantly comparing and, and subconsciously, they kind of like it when other people fail. They would never say, oh, bless your heart. That's just so, especially in the South, bless your heart. You know, it's just, but, but if somebody who's kind of ahead of you fails, you kind of go, mm, yeah, that's good. Why? Because you have scarcity mentality. Nobody in, I, I'm understanding these things don't apply to anybody in here, okay? But I wanted to get them out here anyway. This is your grandkids. Um, somebody with a scarcity mentality uses scarcity language, see? They start believing those negative thoughts, we all have negative thoughts. We all have thoughts that come in, but we don't have to believe them. In fact, if you believe things that aren't true, then it kind of messes up everything that goes on. But we have these negative thoughts that, that come in, scarcity thoughts, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I can't do this. And when an abundance mentality says, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do everything. I, I'm gonna be okay. I can handle this. I can always make more money. My mind's powerful. You know, it's gonna be all right. So they use scarcity language as opposed to abundance language. And then number three, instead of being generous, they hoard and protect, okay? Can't be generous because there's a limited amount of resources, uh, scarcity mentality. So if I give stuff away, if I'm generous, you know, I, that, that's not good. There's not enough for everybody. I gotta protect my interests. And then number four, they fall prey to short-term thinking. And that's instant gratification. Uh, when we think of our 
money as scarce or a scarce resource, there's only so much of it. There's a tendency to use those resources for for our pleasure. Now, pleasure's not a bad thing, but pleasure is not the antidote to scarcity. In fact, pleasure can reinforce the scarcity mindset that you already possess. For example, let's say, did anybody here have a bad day this week at all? I mean, there's, you're gonna go, well, if I say I had a bad day, that's, no, 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 let's just be honest. Anybody have a bad day? Okay, all right. So you had a bad day, things didn't go well, you, you know, it could have been any of a, a, a number of things. You kind of feel down on yourself. You need something positive, right? Well, there's, there's, in my mind, I was thinking about this. There's about three things. You have three choices. You could do something constructive like go hang out with friends. Go hang out with your family. Get around people that might pick you up just a little bit. That, that'd, be the, that'd be the abundance mindset. Or you could just go eat something. Anybody like there? That's my... That's my temptation. If I'm having a bad day, let's get a Whopper. Let's get a, let's double, you know, just get two of them, you know, whatever. When the Krispy Kreme sign comes on, that's, a, that's the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? And so, you know, that's not good for you, okay? Or we could just go put that new cool gadget, maybe that red iPhone that they announced this week that we've always wanted on our credit card. Let's go shopping, okay? but that's a scarcity mentality. And so the writer of the article said this, if your attitude about money is wrong, you will never be able to leave a financial legacy. So we gotta get our attitude right. I was thinking about that and I was thinking, okay, if, if that's the most important thing, this scarcity mentality, how do you have an, a, a, an abundance mentality and where best to learn that than from Jesus, okay? Jesus tells a story, it's a parable. He made it up so that it would make us uncomfortable. He loved doing that. And and he made up a story about a guy that um, had a wrong attitude toward money and how devastating it was to him and his legacy. Here it is. It's found in Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. It says, and he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What a sad story. The rich guy gets richer, and he just doesn't have enough room to store this incredible harvest. Goes on. He says, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus of grain, here's, here's a mistake he makes. He assumes that his surplus, this bumper crop, is his, okay? <laughs> Just assumes, this is mine, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna build um, bigger barns. He says, yeah, you have, uh, he, he, and, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, for many years, you have plenty of grain set up for many years. And here's the mistake there is he thinks just because he has lots of stuff, he has lots of years left. Just because he has lots of stuff, he has lots of time. It's not true, as you're gonna find out in just a minute. He says, I'm gonna take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a pretty good retirement plan to me. Okay, see what Jesus says. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. 
And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus said he, he didn't get the big picture. He, he didn't have a right attitude toward money. So, so what's a right attitude? I, in, on your outline sheet, or, uh, I, he said some more, hang on. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. That's important. Now, you know, that's important. So on your outline sheet, I think it says um, how, to, how to get the most from your money. This is a better, this was later in the week. This is a better uh, update on that. So you might wanna just write that down. How to have an abundance mindset. And here's the first thing, four things. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. If scarcity is gonna destroy your wealth, then we need to learn to think with abundance about our finances. And the first thing you do is give yourself to God. See, Jesus doesn't ask for your stuff. He doesn't ask for a percentage. He doesn't ask for any of that stuff because he knows that if he gets you, then your stuff comes with it. I love this quote. It says, if one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. Have you discovered that in your life? If you just give yourself to God, so just say, God, take all of me. Have you done that? Have you done that? I wanna challenge you to. Say, God, here's my job. Here's my job. I give it to you. Here's my golf clubs. I give them to you. Here's my boat. I don't even have a boat. Friend has a boat. That's a much better investment. I give it to you. Here's all my possessions. I give them to you. Here's my kids. Please take them too, okay? <laughs> give everything. It's great to every once in a while do an inventory, walk around the house or the business and say, God, I give that to you. I just give it, I give it to you. I give, I give everything, give everything. I have to do that regularly because I tend to think things are my own. I'm liable to do what that wealthy guy did and say, boy, I got a great bumper crop I'll just, it's, I'm just gonna assume it's mine. No, give yourself to God. I have to do that with this church regularly. Say, God, I love this church, but it's your church, it's not my church. I haven't built any of this. This week we're gonna, uh, I'm leaving just as soon as I'm done here. And I'm going to Birmingham, we're having our ARC annual conference and it's been sold out for four weeks, six weeks, I think, and and there's over 4,000 leaders coming and it's gonna be incredible. It's a big family reunion. And, uh, and as I stand and look at that crowd and I think, you know what, this was a vision in my brain, you know, 18 years ago. God, what if we could plant 2,000 churches? And as I stand up there, I have to do what I do here all the time and just say, God, you know what, this is yours. If you wanna use somebody else today, that's fine. If you, wanna, if, if you want me to, to go, that, that's why we've been able to here at Seacoast say, you know, the best thing for this church is let's, let's get toward the next generation. I wanna be here forever, but God, it's, it's not mine. It's just not. And here's the only way you can do that. If you believe that God has your best in mind, you think you know what your best is, but you don't. God has your best in mind. And so you might be hanging on to something that he says, you need to let go of this because I've got even a better future than what you think is possible. And so look at this verse. It says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with 
everything that you are. Now, how do I know if I've given myself to God? How do I know? I, I, I'm obedient to him. You say, God, I, I trust your will. I trust, there, there's fruits of obedience in my life. You know, this week is baptism uh, weekend here, here at the church. I was thinking about that. You know, um, have I been baptized? You know, the very first uh, obedience test, Jesus said, was to go get baptized. And uh, so, so I wanna ask you, have you put on the jersey? That's what it is, it's going public. It's kinda like a wedding ring. You know, if, unless you've gained 50 pounds and, and you aren't wearing your wedding ring, there's a problem, okay? Did, did I get that right? Okay, if, you, if you're married, you have a ring. Uh, only if you've gained like 50 pounds like I have since you got married can you have an excuse. I still have it on, I just cram it on there, you know? But it's, it's kinda, that's kinda like the, the the baptism, um, have you identified with the team? And so it's just, that's just one of, one of the things. So if you, if you want to go from scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset, first thing you need to do is just abandon yourself to God. Just give everything to God. Um, second thing is this, is act like a steward and not an owner. Act like a steward of your stuff and not an owner. Um, stewardship is just an old English word which means manager. And so you see yourself not as an owner, but as a manager. Now, if you see yourself as an owner, then you might have a scarcity mindset because there's only so much you can do and get, and it's all up to you. But when you see yourself as a steward, as a manager of all of God's resources, it opens up a whole new possibility. So what does it mean to be a steward? It just simply means that every day of your life, you ask God, what do you want me to do with your stuff. I've given you everything. What do you want me to do with it? See, look at this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything's God's. And he allows me to manage some of his stuff. So I just say, you know, what, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Somebody here's going, you know what? I built my business. I, 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 I didn't have anything when I started, had an idea, invested, worked hard. What do you mean it's all God's? Look at this verse. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, he says wealth isn't a bad thing, not at all. God gives you the ability to produce it, but where do you think those ideas came from? Came from God. Where do you think your health comes from? Comes from God. Where do you think favor comes from? Somebody said favor ain't fair. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Where does it come from? It comes from from God. So if I wanna have an abundance mindset, I gotta give myself to God, see myself as a manager and not an owner. And here's the third thing, really important, take a long-term view. Take a long-term view. How long a term should you take? Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? That's not bad. But I would suggest that you decide to view everything through the lens of eternity. Everything through the lens of eternity. That's as long a view as you can get. Did you know that when I'm in the restaurant, I need to view everything through a lens of eternity? Okay, you're gonna go to a restaurant today and you're gonna sit down and everybody else in that restaurant is, uh, you know, the, is gonna be impacted by the quality of service. That'll be the size of the tip or how they respond to the wait staff or the people around them or whatever because it's just about today. But for you, it's gonna be different because you're gonna realize that everybody you encounter at the restaurant has eternal value, will live eternity with or without God, 
and you are an instrument there of, uh, of, of grace and Jesus doesn't mean you have to you know, leave tracks or you know, little Bible verses or whatever. They'd rather have money, okay? So, but no, it just means that you're just always aware. What am I saying here? In light of eternity, this could impact the eternity of the person that I'm with. How generous am I gonna be with them? Maybe I need to say to God before I give the tip, God, what do you want me to do with your resources? And he might say to do something exorbitant just for that moment because he knows the eternity of the person and he's glad that you're tuned in. Does that make sense? In your job, you look at it in light of eternity. There's no such thing. I've said this a lot here. There's no such thing as a dead-end job, okay? Because for a believer, you're in full-time ministry. Um, you know the difference between you and I. We're all in full-time ministry. I'm in vocational ministry. It just means I'm paid to be good. You guys are what? Good for nothing, you know? And so we're, we're, all, we're all in full-time ministry, and at your job, you're in full-time ministry. You don't have to change your zip code in order to get in the middle of God's will. God might change that for you, but while you're there, he's placed you there strategically, and so you need to think of it in light of eternity. Not just this one bad day, but in light of eternity. God, why am I here? Who do you want me to impact? What do you want me to do, okay? In everything that you do, even when your problems come, you need to think in light of eternity. So, um, so this Monday, I got a phone call. It was from my cousin, uh, lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, he said, uh, his dad, my uncle, Norman, is not doing well. He said, we put him in the hospital on Friday, and um, we hope to get him out sometime this week, and basically the doctors said his heart is given out, congestive heart failure, and he has just a few days to a few weeks to live. So I called up my dad right away, and this is the guy that last week, if you guys were uh, in our Legacy Family Series last week, um, they, uh, the older brother that they preached together and they're best friends all their life. And he's had a major, major impact on my life. So I called dad and told him about it and then dad's going out there to, tomorrow. But it just so happened that, <laughs> this is just one of those coincidences, that the meeting that I was going to this week is in the town where he lives. And so I got out of the meeting a little bit early and I went, I spent about four hours with him and we talked about family legacy. We told some of the stories together and many others that we told last week and it was just a great, great night. At the end of the night, I, I began to think, you know what? He's 86 years old. He's lived a good life. And I thought, no, that's not true. He's 86 years old, and he's just had a good start to a great life. Did, did you get that? The, the life that he lives here is just a little piece of the life of eternity that he's going to live. And it helped me to think differently about what was going on. See, an eternal perspective is the opposite of instant gratification. And so I say, what can I do now that will matter forever. What can I do now? One of our worship leaders uh, this week was telling me that things that he's thinking about is what can he do now that his kids were th will thank him for? What can he do now that his 50-year-old self will thank him for? What can he do now that will matter for eternity? I thought, that's excellent. How can I plan better now for the future that is coming? One of the things you can do is make a will. You know, did you know that 60 to 70 percent of the people in America don't have a will? That's because they're not planning on dying. 
okay? We're, we just think we're gonna live forever. And did you know that when you have kids in the home, that that number is even higher than that? And so you gotta have an eternal perspective. You know what, I live a few years here and I'm gonna live longer there. And so um, on the back of your outline sheet, just as a practical how-to down at the bottom, uh, we're gonna offer a free estate planning seminar to help you to do some of those things if you need to do it. But see, there's a life that's coming. And you may wanna invest more in that life, actually, than in this life. Look at the mindset of the heroes of the faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story of a bunch of hero, he, heroes of the faith. And some of them, most of them, actually never got, never achieved what God had promised for them in their lifetime. It says each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? That's a good question. They saw it way off in the distance. They waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. They were just visiting this planet, just visiting this planet. And it says people who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. Can I ask you, are you looking for your true home? See, here's the problem. We just don't have a really good vision of what, um, of what heaven's like. So we like this home a whole lot and we can't imagine heaven being better than this one. It says if they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back anytime they wanted, but they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God was so proud of them and he has a city waiting for them. They had a vision of heaven. Far better country, it says. They didn't see heaven as fat little cherubs sitting on clouds playing harps. I don't wanna go there, you know what I mean? But that's not what it's about. And so here's a question. Are you wasting your time looking in the rear view mirror and rehearsing what you've lost or are you looking ahead to your reward? Look at what it says about Moses. It says, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, that's a bad day, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So what I wanna challenge you is just to look ahead. If you're gonna overcome a scarcity mindset, you've gotta give yourself to God, see yourself as a manager, not an owner, get an eternal perspective. Let me give you one more, four. I usually have three, this is so important, I have four, okay? Here we go. Be intentional with your resources. Be intentional with your resources. All of your resources are God's, so be intentional with how he wants you to use them. Leave a legacy. Being intentional means I decide ahead of time. You ever been in, in the store and done an impulse purchase? Anybody ever been there? Yesterday I was there, I did it, okay? But it was in the budget, so it was okay. But it's even better, especially legacy issues, if you decide in advance. If you pre-decide, don't just let life happen. Set aside some of your time and some of your resources and give it to him. I had a guy come into my office the other day. He said, he's been very successful in business. He said, I'm, I've, I've just sold my business, it will be done by such and such a date. And he said, I'm trying to look at what I wanna do that will make a difference. And he said, uh, one of the things I wanna do is I wanna make a difference in the church. Can you use me? How, I'll give you this much time. What's the best use of my time? And I thought, you know what, he, he gets it. He gets it. He, he's saying, I'm gonna set aside some of my time and some of my resources and decide in advance that I'm gonna leave a legacy. Um, the Apostle Paul was uh, taking an offering 
at a fairly wealthy church, the Corinthian church. And there's another church that uh, was in another area that was going through an economic downturn, you know? And so he, he wants to take an offering from these guys to give to these guys. And, and he, he talks to him about the motivation for it. He says, remember, a, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. You're gonna reap what you sow, so, you know, so, so well. He says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Think what over? The offering, he said. And make up your own mind of what you will give. Now, this is the message. I love how it says this. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. Anybody ever been there? Sob stories and arm twisting. You need to give this much. You know, you've got this kind of an income. You need to give this much. Or this is the story. And if you don't do this, we're, you know. And he says, no. He says, don't do that. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. And that's what I want for you guys. And I want for your kids. And I want for your grandkids. I want you to enjoy giving. I love this. I was talking to one of our pastors just before I came out. and said, I have a lot of stuff I don't do well in my life, but I love opportunities to give. I just do. I, I was in the, the new building that we're, we're building yesterday. I snuck in while nobody was there. And I, I, I love it. I went up to the very top rows. It's about twice the size of this. And I thought, you know what? Number one, you guys are gonna be all confused the first few weeks because where are you gonna sit? New service times, all that kind of stuff. That'll be fun to watch. I just love that stuff. But I thought there are gonna be people sitting right over here and right over there that are gonna experience new life here. There's gonna be people here after I'm gone and I get to be a part of it. I love it. I love opening new campuses like the one in Conway and just thinking, you know what? There's gonna be more people that are gonna have their lives changed. I love that we can provide medical care through the Dream Center mission trips. We have some of our mission partners here to be a part of the art conference and they were telling me that in Kenyan, one of our mission partners and places there, that you guys, because of your generosity, um, they, they opened the first school that's ever been opened in that area. They, they have the first clean water that they've ever had in that area. They opened a medical clinic that they never had. In the, and when I heard that, I was just like, yes, I love giving. I love that kind of thing going on. I love that, that when, when there are natural disasters, remember last year, hurricanes in Florida, where else? In Houston, Texas, and in Puerto Rico that just devastated things. And we just said to you guys, we said, we've got some resources. Would you guys be willing to donate some more? We were able to give over 100,000, close to $150,000. And we're still working in Puerto Rico. There's teams gonna, gonna be going. I love that. I love that we don't have to talk about money all the time because of your generosity. I love the fact that when we have a need, that we just tell you as honestly as we can. We don't have to resort to sob stories and arm twisting and a whole bunch of marketing. So much for, more fun for me as a pastor just to go, hey, give yourself to God. Manage his resources well. Live every day with the thought, will this matter for eternity? What can I do today that will change somebody else's tomorrow? And just pre-decide. Just pre-decide what you're gonna do. And so I have one pre-decide opportunity that I wanna share with you and then I'm gonna close. In three weeks, 
uh, we're gonna have a legacy offering to go towards the next phase of our building. Did you know we're almost there? We're gonna be, it, those of you here in the Mount Pleasant campus, we're gonna, we're gonna move in there by Christmas time. We're gonna have a revival there in January to celebrate our 30 years. And if you were ever a part of a revival in the past, that just, so it, I, I can't even imagine what that's gonna be like. We're almost there. Giving-wise, we're almost there. We had a goal of $12 million and we're at $10.5 million. We got a million and a half to go before we move in. And so, and so all I'm gonna do is, is tell you that we're gonna have a legacy offering. We're gonna have one now. We're gonna have one at the end of the year. And uh, in three weeks, and I just want you to pray. That's all you do. Okay, God, it's your money, your stuff. How do you want me to participate? If you'll just honestly do that, God will take care of our need. It's been so cool to watch all the way along, every step of the way God has met the need. And so, and so I'm gonna ask you to do that, and no pressure. We're not gonna have sob stories, but does he want you to give? Pre-decide three weeks from now, and let's, let's give together for the glory of God and leave a legacy for the next generation. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? Okay. So someday you're gonna stand in eternity And I think you're gonna be grateful for messages like this and others that teach us to live intentionally. You're gonna be grateful that somebody told you before you got there that, that this isn't all there is, that, that there's life there. Now you're gonna miss some things. You'll miss money that you wasted. You'll miss money that you spent on bad investments. You'll miss money that you loaned to your nephew and he never paid back but you will never ever miss what you invest in eternity. And that's why I love talking to you guys about this stuff. Good enough? Let's pray, let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom. God, I, I pray that you would give some of us here today that the whole, the whole thing they heard was the hope of eternity, was the hope of eternity. The idea that we just live a little while here, we're gonna live forever there and it is the beginning of a great life regardless of where we are. God, I pray that you would give some that hope. God, give us wisdom in our serving, in our giving, that we can leverage it for eternity. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.